Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. Where, along with my partners, Ann and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. When Michaela Ulmer was four, she was stung by a bee, twice in one week. She was terrified of going outside, so her parents encouraged her to learn more about bees so she wouldn't be afraid. It worked. Michaela didn't just learn what an important role bees play in our ecosystem, but she also learned bees are endangered and set out to save them. She started by selling cups of lemonade in front of her house and donating small proceeds to bee conservation groups. When she realized the more lemonade she sold, the more bees she could help, Bee and the Bees Lemonade was born. Actually, it started with a different name. We'll get into that story later. But now it's Me and the Bees Lemonade. Now she sells her lemonade all across the country, stores like Whole Foods, Wegmans, Kroger's, just naming a few, from meeting with Fortune 500 CEOs all over the world to securing a deal on Shark Tank, we'll talk about that, to even visiting the Obama White House multiple times. Her lemonade and passion for bee conservation has taken her far. Oh, and by the way, I believe she's 15. Did you turn 16 recently or are you still 15? No, I'm still 15. I'm turning 16 in September. I knew it was coming up soon. Okay. Okay. So I'm so excited uh, to be, get it, um, speaking today along, we can't say the word without, you know, making the pun, along with my (laughs) business partner and trainer to Michaela. She is dropping her memoir very soon, um, which is called Be Fearless, Dream Like a Kid. It's published by Putnam. It is out this month, available everywhere. Amazon will link to everything. I was able to read the book already. And for me, I have to tell you, it is the must business read of 2020. And it is written by a young 15-year-old woman. I mean, it, honestly, I read a lot of these books and there's so much here to learn. And we'll talk a lot, a little bit about that. So first of all, Michaela, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, our pleasure. Well, congrats on the book and, of course, on all your incredible success with Me and the Bees, which, as I said, I just started drinking, and I will show that here since we have some visuals, too. Um, Make sure I have the front of the lemonade there. Um, I have two flavors. There we go. With my fingers, we have the original classic. We have the prickly – okay, Zoom – we have the prickly pear, and, have, um, and she's holding. I have the it. ginger one, and she's got the ginger <laughs> one there. So um, it's delicious; it really is. And and I have to tell you, not only is it amazing, but it is amazing how quickly, as you put it in the book, you went from the B sweet to the C sweet. So I find it impossible to not start my shows since March without first checking in with people and making sure that you and your family are safe and well. You mentioned your grandparents are in North Carolina. I hope they're doing well. And I know Texas right now is really struggling, kind of living through what we lived through in here in New Jersey uh, a few months mm-hmm. ago. How are you coping with this unexpected pandemic, I guess? I know. I have been pretty much trying to find things that I can do that I enjoy. So I'm working on the book release for most of my time. But I also have been rollerblading around Austin a lot and 
like drawing and finding a bunch of really good books that I can read during my free time. So it's doing that. And then also I'm preparing for the school year, which is going to start in August. And I'm probably going to have to start preparing for test prep in uh, a quick minute. So that's what I've been doing this summer. But my family is doing well. Thank you for asking. Good. And the yes, they're thing. doing well. My brother is currently playing Roblox. Our parents are both on conference calls. And I mean, we're doing well. We're safe. And we have been getting through the pandemic pretty well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Has this hurt your business at all? How are you managing the uh, business itself? Yes. So it did hurt my business, but not as much as the pandemic has hurt other companies. So me and the Beast mainly sold to grocery stores. We did have some customers that were restaurants and cafes and shops that were closed down because they weren't essential. But for the most part, we had some cancellations and store launches that we were planning on having in 2020. But we were preparing for the busiest time of the year, which is lemonade season. And then the pandemic hit and we had to kind of adjust where we were selling. We've still grown since last year, but not as much as we've expected to. And we have adapted by like changing our online shipping warehouse and then also finding more premium like grocery stores that we can sell a product to. You're also in high school. So how are you balancing all of that together? Because it's summer, there's not much balancing that has to be done. I think I just have to read two books for school. But during the school year, my priority is school. So business, I'm able to do on the weekends or during breaks. And then there's some days where I get excuse absences to travel for meetings or things like that, or like to hop on a meeting. All my teachers know and understand that I have a business, but any time that I need to travel or miss school for the business, I have to make it up. Like I'm not given easy treatment or whatever because I have a business. I have to make it up. I have to meet with teachers, figure out what I missed and turn it in within like the same time that I was gone. So balancing can can definitely get hard and it can get stressful, but it's like I'm working on not procrastinating. (laughs) Yeah, it's worth it. And then I also just have to not procrastinate and figure out how I can spend my time. um, You have to show your shirt now that you've said that. Oh, yes. (laughs) So my shirt says stop procrastinating, start pollinating. And it's part of a shirt series and they're kind of bee puns. Mm-hmm. And different quotes that I say based on the company. So this is by pollinating, we mean like do good in the world. So spread your good, kind of like the bee spread pollen, mm-hmm. you know, That's pollinate awesome. different flowers. So thank and you. I, I love I love that you're also using this time really well. I've I've, I've watched a lot of the um, Facebook videos that you've done on Earth Day and on gardening, mm-hmm. and recently one I think on, on on some social justice and and it's really I think a whole other layer. Are you enjoying doing those? I am. You know, I like, I think I have, I'm an ambivert. So there's sometimes when I really enjoy speaking to people and there's sometimes I'm just like, please, I don't want to talk to anybody. And I think for these, I I like them because I can meet with people who I've looked up to or who I've heard their story for such a long time about topics that I'm really passionate about, like saving the earth, finding things to do during Earth Day, Black businesses and that's why I like them. I, re- I really hope to continue doing it and maybe even do them in person once the pandemic's over, just like you were doing your interviews. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure you will. And I also love that we're recording this on a Monday. Why don't you tell people why, why Monday's always been your favorite day of the week? Well, 
Where'd you hear that from? In your book. Yeah, you wrote it in your book. Okay, Monday were, <laughs> was my favorite day of the week okay. when it was library day. I read the book. But, like, <laughs> thank you. But when school, like mainly high school started and Monday is the day when you wake up and feel groggy, it's not. But I have like a love-hate relationship with Monday. Now I go to the library mainly on like Fridays and Wednesdays. So I have something to read over the weekend. Wow. But, yeah. That's a great thing. <laughs> yeah. Most teenagers, Monday is not their favorite day. And, yeah. and many yeah. people who work, if they, if they love their job, they like Mondays, they're ready to go. So I just thought that was unusual, but you became a really great reader when you were young. And I think that's important. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to yeah. ask from when you were young that I read, it was really something Mitch alluded to in the beginning about how you were stung by bees at a young age and you were afraid of them, Right. And so your parents encouraged you to learn more about them so you wouldn't be afraid, which I think is is such a great thing to do. And I would think gave you at an early age this lesson that knowledge can sort of dissipate fear, right? You can overcome your fear and have more knowledge. And I'm just wondering if that's how you felt about that and if you have applied that anywhere else, whether especially with your business, whether it's like public speaking or you know, doing a pitch to investors, stuff like that. I didn't realize it at the time, but when my parents encouraged me to do that research, it was taking something that I was afraid of because I didn't understand it to actually learning to love it because I did understand it. And my parents didn't know about the bees. They didn't know that they were dying. They just, I guess they just wanted me, me to learn about them and maybe teach them what I learned. And so that's something that they teach to me and my brother and I continue to teach and use to this day, but I mean, you said it perfectly is that when you like knowledge can help dissipate fear. And I mean, even if it doesn't, you still have learned something. So when you have that random question or when you have something that you're nervous about over prepare for it, or maybe right. do some research on whatever that is. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great. That's so true. So I'm going to quote you a lot today because I did read the book and you really have some just great quotes in here. So you're part of a generation, Gen Z, and I absolutely love what you said is that we believe in the impossible. We see possibilities where adults see problems. And let's face it, in 2020, that's really good to hear from the next generation of business or any kind of leaders. So I want to hear more about what you meant and maybe some specific examples of why you feel that way personally? Sure. So I think when it comes to business and a lot of other things, kids are perfect for getting that idea started and growing because rather than seeing a lot of the obstacles, or like I said in the book, the problems along the way, we have this vision of where we want to be and we're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And so when I'm teaching, I often use like the example of a dessert. So like, could you give me a dessert? Apple pie there. Okay. Nice one. So, for example, if if a kid wants that apple pie, they're going to do whatever it takes to get the apple pie, like jumping on the counters, constantly asking their parents. But sometimes when adults want apple pie, they realize they want the apple pie and then think of what comes in the way. So, like, I'm going to have to pay for the apple pie. I'm going to have to maybe count my calories or maybe I should just delay and make the apple pie later. And so when it comes to business, I say that because we are young and we see all these things that we want to change in the world. Like we know that there's a lot of stuff that we want to change. And 
all we know is that just like the apple pie, I'm going to get that change done. And so by like working together, we're able to do that a lot easier. And I think that's something that anybody can foster. Like even if you are an adult, you can still have that kid mentality. You believe in change, and I think that's great, and you believe in hope. Two of the main tenants of uh, President Obama, who you spent some time with, um, and we'll talk about that in, in, in a little bit, because I think that's really great that, that, that you use both those words. You know, it's funny. As the mom of two teenagers, one thing that you just said really stuck out to me, which is I see that with my own kids, where I keep coming up with what the limitations are, whether it's a project they're working on or what have you. And, and, and you know, they don't see those limitations. So I feel like as a parent, I'm learning from you as well. I also would like to hear a little more about, you touched on a little bit, but how you do balance all of these things. Do you keep schedules? Like what motivates you? School is first, which is great, but obviously your me and the bees career, there's, there's gotta be a lot Mm -hmm. to that in terms of a time commitment with everything. There's a couple of things that motivate me. One thing that motivates me is being able to collaborate with other people when it comes to like big projects and things like that. So for example, part of the healthy hive, I am collaborating with some students at my school to install bee homes, which are for native bees in that area. And when it's something that you're really interested in and something that you have a common mission with other people, it's so much easier to get hyped about it, to get excited and to want to get work done. And so that's kind of the same thing that I bring to the company. We have such a talented team that loves me and the bees. And because we have that like collaborative mindset and we are willing to take advice from anybody to grow the company, I think it just, it makes it so much easier. And so another thing that motivates me is like my mission. That's something that you brushed upon with your interview with Miss Ann Barr. She's with Do Good. Is yes. how having a mission is like such a great motivator. It's kind of like something bigger than yourself or bigger than your company. So that's also one thing that motivates me is like the bees still need me or there's still people who could be inspired or who could learn something from me. Do you have a mission statement specifically that you use at the company? Yeah. So I like to say my mission statement is to create great tasting lemonade while making a measurable impact on saving the bees and inspiring and encouraging youth entrepreneurship. And there we have a longer one and a, a longer vision statement as well, but I don't remember those off the top of my head. That's okay. That's all right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. You know, one of the many things that really touched me in your book was, was the discussion of money. I've been a staunch advocate for financial literacy throughout my entire career. I know money, and by that I mean budgeting, saving the basics, is a really difficult mm-hmm. concept for most adults to master because they were never taught it in school. And their parents never spent time with them on that. So let alone kids, I think it's pretty incredible your journey in learning about money. So I thought, you know, we could take a minute and you could talk about how you got schooled on the basics of budgeting and then profit margins and now managing a business where you're selling, I believe, something like 2 million bottles of lemonade a year in 1,800 stores. So if you want, maybe start with the first trip to the bank with your parents, because I thought or, or that was that was really, really you have great parents, by the way. Yeah. I don't know if they're in the house, <laughs> but you. you could tell them they rock. <laughs> Thank you. 
Uh, they're actually a couple of weeks over, but I'll you rock, mom. Did you hear me? Okay. Well, thank you for that. Oh, sure. And I agree. I think for me, one thing that makes it difficult, that makes that financial literacy and learning about saving and making budgets difficult is that a lot of people perceive it as difficult. Like when I'm teaching and I'm saying like, we're going to go over this today and I really think you can do it. There's kids that are just like, I, I know I can't do this or like, I, I, like this is too complicated. And so it's the perception that it's just really confusing when really in reality, it's just kind of breaking up the basics. Like I started with give, save and spin. That's before I went to the bank, before I deposited my first check, I learned to give, save and spin with like my birthday money and then the money for my very first stand. And so that is something that kids get instantly. They're like, give, here's something I want to give to, save, here's what I want to save for and spend. Here's what I want to buy right now. And then we just take that same energy and move it to making a budget. So when I was growing my lemonade stand, I wanted to upgrade from a handheld juicer to an electric juicer so I could get more lemon juice out of the juicer. And then also because it would take less time. And so my dad said, well, how much money do you have to buy it? How do you know you're not going to run out of ingredients when you're doing your next stand? And he said, you're going to have to plan out your money so you don't run out. And so initially I was like, well, I thought you just swiped a plastic card through a machine and you got whatever you wanted because that's what it seemed like. And realizing that you actually had to like plan it out, just write down, write your ingredients or your expenses. And then how much money do I want to make? What am I going to sell it for? And those were things that I had already based on me just interacting with customers is like how much my lemonade costs, how to give change and things like that. So by having your basic lemonade stand, I learned a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. So you learned you learned a lot on the job. And having mentors are truly important. And I'm reminded of a, a friend of the show and a friend of uh, Anne and I uh, is a woman named Neil Godfrey. And we've interviewed her a couple of times on the show. But she wrote a book years ago on how to raise financially smart kids. And she was a regular on Oprah Winfrey. And she's just, she's, that's been like her career. So I actually, my kids got to benefit from that of her, what was known as her jar system, where she had one jar for savings, one jar for spending, and maybe it was short-term spending. And then the third, the most important jar, which, which you picked up day one is charity and finding something to be able to give back. And I know your dad has mentioned to you, I think you, you talked in the book about giving first and how critical that is. And really every successful business owner that, that Ann and I work with, as well as we've interviewed on the show, that's a common thread. They, they are always willing to give and, and I think and give yeah. back. And I think that's really, really important. You know? Thank you. And I'm, I'm excited to listen to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. You'll enjoy, okay. you'll enjoy what she has to say. <laughs> All right. Okay. Mitch, it's time to get, to Shark Tank. We've waited long enough. <laughs> okay. All right. Hello, Sharks. My name is Michaela Ohm. I'm the owner of BC Luminate, and today I'm here to ask for $60,000 for 10% equity in my company. When was the last time you tried something so good and refreshing and wondered, could this be good for me? Shark Damon John offering her the 60 grand, but for 25% of the company. It's a deal. A lot of Shark Tank fans out there. Yes. So they're probably screaming the audience at home. Yeah. God, finally, Shark Tank. And I'm sure <laughs> you've talked about this so much and everybody asks you about it. But if we go back 
to 2009. Maybe you can give us a, a shortened version of how you ended up pitching to your business to the Sharks mm-hmm. and, you know, and how that experience went. I mean, I guess we know how it ended. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So the funny thing about Shark Tank is it's never like fully boring. So I don't really get bored of talking about it. But Shark Tank was, we weren't originally looking to be on Shark Tank. You know, we were looking for some funding because we still wanted to grow. We were in a couple stores. Actually, I'm going to explain how we got into a couple stores. But I was selling my product a couple times a year at these fairs. Mm-hmm. And an owner of a local pizza shop came up to my booth and said, if you can find a way to bottle your product, I'd like to carry in our store. And so we asked my parents a bunch of questions. They asked if I really w- wanted to get into this and whether I wanted to take this leap of going from a plastic cup and being in bottles. Mm-hmm. And so once I was so adamant about it, we started looking up what's a commercial kitchen and a co-packer and things like that. And we learned how to bottle a product based on asking store managers and asking other beverages in Austin. And so you did that yourself in your home. We did not produce it in our home. We produced it in a commercial kitchen, which is an area you can rent out Mm -hmm. because it has to be, it has to pass multiple things of like licensing to make sure it's safe for stores. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We got into that one pizza shop and then another shop a couple blocks away from the pizza shop, I see carry it. And before we knew it, it was kind of like a buzz in Austin where we kept on getting calls from stores and we would also pitch to stores to carry it. That's amazing. We were, thank you. Thank you. It's definitely an odd way to, to grow a product. I think another thing happened was I did workshops at Whole Foods teaching about the bees while parents were shopping. I would teach the kids and Whole Foods asked for Buzz Week if I would carry my product there as well. And eventually they decided to bring it on as a full product for that one location. We realized we don't really have like the capacity to produce this much lemonade at the commercial kitchen that we were at. And we needed a way to upgrade. And so the African-American Chamber of Commerce in Austin actually reached out and they said, we're having Shark Tank auditions. And mm-hmm. initially my parents said, no, we're not going on Shark Tank. They can be pretty brutal, as you've seen. And they're yeah. brutal with kids, too. Yeah. And so originally, originally it was a no. And after a little bit of convincing and also my parents talking to other entrepreneurs that they knew, they said, okay, we'll do the first round of auditions. And we prepared the pitch that I used for stores changed it up a little bit, offered the judges my product. And it was just round after round of calls and auditioning and paperwork. And then like kind of before we knew it, we were on the show, we were backstage. And one thing that I very clearly remember is lots of months of practicing a pitch, learning what makes a good pitch and also pitching in front of family and friends and other business owners. And then like them giving feedback as redoing our pitch. So a lot of peer editing or peer reviewing. But we went on the show. We landed a deal with Mr. Damon John, who is still like a mentor and partner today. And actually, this year, we are like hoping to do something else with Shark Tank and on the Shark Tank show. Hmm. Oh, that's exciting. Oh, that's great. Now, when you went in, was was there a particular judge that you were hoping might be involved or... Was it always Damon? Was it Mark Cuban's from Texas, right? Was that, was he on your list? Yes. 
We saw the benefits of each shark. I think for Mark Damon, it was the fact that he owned the Dallas Cowboys, and so he could potentially bring our lemonade into the, the sports Mavericks. industry. Yeah. Exa- oh, the ba- Mavericks. Yeah. And then for Vince Laurie, it was QVC, so possibly yeah. we could work on getting our product online. And so we, we did our research. We learned about all the sharks, and we were open to multiple. We realized that each had its own benefits. Sure. Mm-hmm. When you walked into the studio and, you know, you, you, you hadn't been out to Hollywood and, and I, I actually worked in television and uh, in, as a previous career. So I kind of know that you probably were expecting this huge, huge studio and you walked in and it was like, wait a minute, I can't believe how small this is. I know you were nine at the time, but did that take you back first at first? Like, like, wow. This is well, this is really not like what it is on TV. <laughs> to me, to me, it was huge. Anyways, even if it wasn't as huge as I imagined, it was huge because we filmed in Universal, so it was the same place where they recorded like Wheel of Fortune. That was one building across the right. street, and just so many shows that I knew. So it was all new and all real. We couldn't be seen walking in between buildings because they didn't want to say who would be on the next season. Right. Um, it was very secretive about that, hmm. and. I also enjoyed meeting the other entrepreneurs and hearing about their products. Like there was oh, yeah. one, there's one company that had a, some dog treats and another one that had a dog fetching, like a fetching machine. So there were dogs running around backstage <laughs> and it was a great stress reliever, but it was really fun. And I learned a lot. It was also very, I call it nerve sighting. So very, I'm super nervous, but very excited about mm. the opportunity. Yeah, I, I would think so. Now you had, how long did you have to wait from the time you presented on Shark Tank till it actually aired? Because I know they're very secretive and sometimes they don't even tell people mm-hmm. when it's going to air. Mm-hmm. They don't. So I don't remember the exact time frame, but I do remember that a lot of, some of the shows that go on Shark Tank, even if they land a deal, don't air. Some don't air and some they won't tell you when it airs until a couple weeks before, like two or three weeks before it hits the national TV date. And so we weren't sure whether it was going to air. We kind of guessed that it would just because of the fact that we landed a deal and based on the company, but we weren't sure. And then it was also, we needed to be ready to stock up on inventory, kind of continue upgrading because we realized that when this show hit, we would probably blow up. So. And I'm That's sure it what did. it was. And you won, I'm sure you watched with your family and friends, and it was probably yes. a pretty pretty exciting night to be finally be able to share this great news. We had a watch party at the Black and uh, Branding Company that did our B Suite branding oh, and cool. invited all of our friends and business partners. So it was fun. Yeah. I, I had a woman, Kim Kalp, on the show uh, recently, and she won Shark Tank with a company called the Superfan Company. Her experience was a little different because she wound up getting the connections, which really led to this relationship she has with a few Major League Baseball teams and eventually with Oprah Winfrey and working on her, her most recent tour. So, you know, the, just the little things that come, wow. and this was years, years after she was on the show too. So it's, it's really, really great to hear it. So you're learning so many business lessons along the way at 15. I mean, I, I literally have to tell you, I spit out my lemonade yesterday, reading the comment <laughs> you made after being forced to change the original name of your company, which you said before, what was the original name? B-Sweet Lemonade. 
B-Sweet Lemonade. So all of a sudden, yes. due to, uh, I guess it was some kind of a patent issue, you said, I thought I'd been stung by bees, but I never thought I'd be stung by lawyers. I, yes. I, I, I love that line, uh, Michaela. But <laughs> what'd you take away from that experience? Well, you know, I think I was a little, I was young to fully comprehend what was happening. This company that was bigger and older than us wanted us to change my name, which I had come up with. I didn't even copy them. Like it wasn't even like I was copying their work. They just wanted me to change mine. The thing that I probably got out of it, which is something that my dad said, was sometimes you have to lose a battle to win the war. And so, you know, even before we got pressure to change the name, I wanted to grow the company into more than just lemonade. So like B-Sweet Skincare or B-Sweet Snacks and things like that. And there were already those names established. So we weren't really able to grow into those spaces. And even though it was a negative thing that made us change the name, the new name allowed us to do that. And I think it better represents the company and our mission. And so it was realizing that sometimes, even if you have to change a name very quickly, you don't have long to do that. You can take advantage of the situation and grow your company in the long run, which is eventually what happened. Like we changed the name. The first stop to launching our new name was the White House. So we served it at the White House Easter egg roll. And the wow. next stop was Good Morning America. So we ended up let's start, let's, start let's, let's go right to the White House. We were going to go there later, okay. but you brought it up. And how did Michelle Obama originally find out about the, the product? I'm not exactly sure, but I think it was one of her team members that mm-hmm. talked about me. And she first invited me to her kid's state dinner at the White House in 2015. I think it was 2015. Kids' state dinner. And she, I didn't, it was written like 50 kids, one from each state who made a healthy recipe. And I got invited, not because of my healthy recipe, but because I had like a lemonade company. And so I got to meet, shake hands with the president mm-hmm. and meet Mrs. Michelle Obama, which is amazing. And I thought it was kind of going to be my White House experience. That was going to be my time that I got to visit the White House. What was your impression when you walked into the White House the first time? It was huge. It was grand. It was very grand. I think it was crazy how each room had a different decor. It was very overwhelming for me. There were a bunch of kids running around and talking with their parents. There's lots of security. And I just couldn't really believe that I was in this place where we talked about in class. We talked about this place in class at school. And now I'm actually like invited, not only visiting, but invited to visit mm-hmm. the White House. And I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because both Anne and I have been fortunate enough to have been at the White House in different times. Actually, Anne, right about the same time, and I'll let her tell her story in a moment. Yes. But when I was just a couple of years older than you and I went to school down the street at George Washington University, I was invited to the White House to cover this big event for our local college radio station that they were they were helpful with. And, you know, it's something I'll never forget. I'm a huge West Wing fan. So as I watch, you know, the press room and I see all of these things, I just remember how grand it was and, and how spectacular. And Anne had the opportunity, I believe, to also see the Oval Office, right? Yeah, I was able to do a West Wing tour because a friend of mine worked at the White House during the Obama administration. So it was amazing, really great. But I didn't get to meet 
President Obama or Mrs. Obama. So, the, but she uh, did bring me back a back a box of M and M's with with president with a seal, oh. presidential seal, and that's Barack right. Obama's signature, which they are literally the only M and M's that have ever existed on Earth that I have not broken into because <laughs> I, I I treasure it. So, the second time you went back, the company name had changed. Yes. And what was so that like? We, that one was crazy. That was the White House Easter egg roll. So there were thousands of kids and thousands of people. Like it was either anywhere between 3,000 to 5,000. And there were families who won the contest to raffle to go to the White House Easter Girl. And we were planning, we were serving the lemonade to all those kids. And then also I had a little display with the White House chefs. So we made some (laughs) recipes with the lemonade just to all the kids who were watching. And that was so, it was really fun because we made it a little bit of a family event. Like we invited our cousins and grandparents over to Washington, D.C. And wow. they got to attend the role. But it was so hectic because we were telling people we were changing the name, people recognizing on Shark Tank, and also just talking to hundreds of people who came and stopped by the booth. I know we want to talk about bees, Anne. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the sustainability aspect of your business and how when you were first starting and learning more about bees and you're concerned, I think, about the existence of them. So I'm just curious how that became such an important part. As you said, I think it's part of your your mission statement. And then also mm-hmm. maybe after that, you can give some examples of how people listening maybe can help and take steps to take care of the bees. Yes. So saving the bees was why I started initially. It was incorporated in my very first stand. And so i talk about this a little bit. I wanted both a doll that my cousin had, but I also wanted to save the bees. <laughs> And the first stand was a really last minute stand. I only made around fifteen dollars, and I couldn't, I couldn't really donate to save the bees. But I also didn't have nearly enough to get that doll. And so what I did was I planned my next stand out a little bit more and did it at a busier time, so I was able to do both. And so even like for my mini stands to come, even if we didn't necessarily make a, a profit, we I donated to Save the Bees. And I would just donate to some of my favorite organizations like the Heifer International and Texas Beekeepers Association. And just nonprofits that I saw either online or on social media that I realized were actually making a difference. And so it was the awareness part. So when people came by the booth, we would talk about the bees and then also behind the scenes, after we made the money, we would donate to organizations helping the bees. When we started bottling the product, I decided to do it in glass bottles, like 100% recyclable, so that we didn't contribute to ocean plastics. And more recently, in 2016, I started a separate nonprofit called the Healthy High Foundation. Wow. And that was mainly because I I loved contributing to the bees within me and the bees, but we got an offer from it wasn't actually an offer. It was kind of just some interest from another organization called the Giving Back Fund. And they set up nonprofits for celebrities or athletes and things like that. And they saw what I was doing with my lemonade stand. And even though I wasn't a celebrity or athlete, 
they were like, I think you may want to start a nonprofit. We can help you do that. And so it was mm. taking the time to set up the 501c3 and all the paperwork so that I and other people who were passionate about the bees could do the fun stuff, like researching why they're dying and setting up bee homes and converting land into bee-friendly land. So that's kind of the process of how our company's been eco-friendly since the start. And there's a couple things we're working on right now. We just got the preliminary data back from a four-year study in San Francisco with San Francisco State University on the effects on the California wildfires on bee populations. Mm -hmm. And they started collecting data 15 years ago. And we funded their data within the most recent four years. And it's pretty interesting data that they release. And so that's kind of the research part of the nonprofit. And then there's also the protection and education part. So we started a bee apiary here in Austin, uh, along with the Sustainable Food Center. So kids can suit up. Like if I talk about like how I couldn't yeah. really, I couldn't wear a bee suit because they were too big. Right. So. Mm -hmm. We got like, we found little bee suits that kids can wear. So regular size bee suits and people can go, even though it's a little scary at first, take a class, learn about the bees and try fresh honey. And sustainability wow, is, is so critical. And, and at our firm, actually, it's a, it's a very, very big deal. And they do a lot. So if you were able to kind of wave a little magic bee wand out there, what mm -hmm. would be one of the first things that you think the world needs to do immediately that isn't being done? Something oh, wow. that bothers okay, you the most. Yeah. I think one thing that bothers me the most is how, I guess for every step of the way, when it comes to businesses, there's still something like there's still something that's harmful to the environment. So I would say that from step one, that the environment is, is like on top consideration. That's one thing. So like, for example, in the clothing in industry, there's just so many things that need to change. Even the cotton itself and then the clothes can be made from sweats and then the selling and marketing contributes to carbon emissions. So that's one thing. But if there was a magic wand that I could wave, I would say that we started seeing people as like more human than like, I don't even know how I can explain it. I just would, I hope that people realize that we are all humans rather than right. like different subsets of humans. Yeah. I don't know. That's Much more the they, same than different. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just, exactly. I don't understand. Even if there's different opinions and views or different races or genders or education right. or where you're from, like different sides of the border. Still people. That, <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. And you had that experience, um, which I thought was fascinating of, of, of speaking in South Africa what was that like? I know you were speaking, I think, for, was it for Dell uh, or something to do with yes. Dell? And you had the opportunity to meet Mandela's widow. So obviously Cape Town, uh, wherever you went, it's a, a long way from Austin, without a doubt. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit about that trip to South Africa and, 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 and what that was like for you. Did you go with your mom? Went with the whole family. Oh, great. Well, like my whole side. So my mom, my dad, and my younger brother, Jacob. Mm -hmm. And so what the experience was like, first, the opportunity was amazing. So it was from the Dell Woman Entrepreneur Network. And they reached out and said, we would like you to speak at our Dell Girls track, which is Dell Woman, Dwin, 
or the Women Entrepreneur Network is females who want to become entrepreneurs who are already business leaders. And it's a pretty big conference. And Girls Track is for a mix of the daughters of those people, but also they partner with a local organization in whatever country they're in to teach them about finance and website development and things like that that are helpful in business and life. And so they wanted me to speak at that. And then they kind of like threw in there that it was in South Africa and they would fly me out there to be able to speak and learn these amazing entrepreneurs. You know, we probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do international travel. I never have like traveled international and with the business was the very first time that we had done that. And so it was an amazing opportunity because I got the chance, like my passion was actually flying me out to places that I would love to go to. And that's probably one of my favorite parts. But we flew out to, it was a lot of packing and everything like that. My least favorite part was getting take, having to take the shots. Right. But mm. I really, really enjoyed the experience. I loved that girl's track. Like We learned about power poses and things like that. I talked about financial literacy and just how they can do the give spend and different li- little steps that they can do that adds up and that can help them be like more independent when they grow up. And so it was amazing because girls had such great ideas. And I went through an activity called FIX, which is like a way to come up with business ideas, fix right. a problem, interest in hobbies, mm-hmm. trends and skills. And they would go do a couple, list a couple businesses for each section. And the one thing that they were amazing at, or not the one thing, but one thing that they always considered was fixing a problem. Most of the ideas fix the problem. And I just realized that something that comes naturally to us is trying to fix these problems. And so I enjoyed the experience. And I also enjoyed being able to speak at multiple duends to come. I was both a student because I was learning along with all these girls that were my age. The first duend that I went to, most of them were older than me. But as I've gone to more recently, I'm actually the same age as them. And just meet friends that we still talk to and we still video chat today. And some of the companies or some of the girls who started businesses have gotten funding, have gotten resources, and are still growing their companies today. So that's probably one of my favorite. Well, and, and I and I think one of the main reasons that that these experiences came to you is that for most human beings, their biggest fear is getting up in front of a group of people and speaking. I mean, you've obviously learned at a very young age from from your lemonade stands and 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 speaking locally. Obviously, you're a natural at it, and 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 you're you you know this 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 works for you, and that is that I, is so critical. But was it was it hard? You know, when when all of a sudden you went from speaking to twenty thirty people to you know a group of four or five hundred people. Yes, it was, and I noticed that you said you're a natural at it. I definitely wasn't a natural at the beginning. I mean, I'm not sure about public speaking, but I wasn't a natural. And I realized that some of even the great public speakers today weren't originally naturals. So for me, I got nervous speaking in front of even really small groups of kids because some of the kids were older than me. I'm like, they already know this. They're just going to look at me and say, wow, why is she teaching me this? I already know this. But my mom taught me everyone has something to learn and everyone has something that they can teach too. So that's one thing that kind of gave me a little bit more confidence when I was speaking. But when when it did transition from me speaking to seven kids to me speaking to 30 or even when it was a 
big conference and there was a low turnout of audience, that's really nerve wracking. That's kind of like it. You get butterfly, you get butterflies, and you're like, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. But I think there was one experience when we did get a low turnout. There wasn't a large audience, and my mom was like, the people who have come here, the people who did attend. Are still eager to learn from you and learn right. to be. So commit exactly. to them. Great. But that your mom, your mom advice. is. Yeah. yeah, that's a wonderful piece of advice. It's so true. It really is. Hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about your book. That's important, and that's well just out. So, what was the hardest part about writing a book? Think you know, talking again about overcoming fears and doing things that are maybe a little out of your comfort zone. And what yeah. was the most fun? So I think the hardest part for me was taking all the things that have happened since I started and putting them in order, like mm-hmm. making it more of a story read. That was hard, especially when it came to remembering things that happened when I was five. And mm-hmm. I didn't remember because I was five. So we had to ask parents and friends and family if they remembered and just try to get piece the story together. So it was a little bit of detective work, just trying to figure out what happened that long ago and then also making it a easy like to read story that went along with the flow so Mm -hmm. that was one part that was difficult one of my favorite parts however was being able to revisit some of the like pictures that we've uncovered and like relive those experiences well I saw you you like reading it for the audiobook right that was one thing where, yes, we've just finished the audiobook recording and it was a couple of days in the studio. I had to read very slowly. And if I had one word to describe it, it's kind of like a marathon. Uh-huh. And I realized that at the beginning, I was just talking way too fast. Like people probably wouldn't have been able to understand it. Yeah. And so I had to slow down, but I also got to read the book and kind of, I think there's no better person to tell your story than you. So I got to yeah. Tell my story as if I was just having a conversation with the person who was reading it. And it's truly a business, as I mentioned earlier, why I think it's one of the best business books, because you really give some very, very basic tips on running a business, on starting a business, on leadership, on all of the really the key tenets to having a successful business that you know, Anne, Anne went and got her master's in business and, and uh, you know, probably a lot of what's in, in this book are things they're teaching. <laughs> saved me a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. What, what made you decide to write a book at all, Michaela? What, where did that idea stem from? The idea stems from the fact that I go around to speak to students at schools and organizations, but because I'm a student and a like entrepreneur, I have a whole company, I can't accept all those events. And that's one of the hardest parts is having to say no to some Mm -hmm. offers internationally that I would love to go to, but they're just in the middle of the school year and it takes over like 20 hours to get there. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not possible for me to accept it. So I realized that having a book would be able to teach people who I normally wouldn't be able to reach and influence people and so they could hear my story, whether it's from the audiobook or whether it's from reading my book, and then also learn something from it. So learn what I would teach it at a workshop or um, what, like what I would say, little anecdotes from starting the company. So that's why I wrote it. And I continue to write it because I just realized there's so many people who could read this and start their own social company as well. 
Oh, it's it's terrific, and I I'm I'm sure this book at some point will be translated in other languages because I think there are people that can learn all over the world. I wanted to ask you one more bee related question before we wrap up. Obviously, it all started when you were stung twice <laughs> when you were four four and a half years old, and and obviously the pain is uh, was tough. So then all of a sudden you get all this great advice, and you've spent a lot of time with bees over now the last let's say ten years. Did you ever get stung again? I haven't. <laughs> I am actually not sure how I haven't, but I think one of the main things that I just haven't done is when I see a bee, I don't get really afraid. I don't swat and things like that. Right. But that's probably the biggest thing is just swatting at them. I haven't gotten stung again. And actually, this your question reminded me of one that was Anne asked, which is how can people today help save the bees? So I'm going to answer it really quickly. There's a, sure. there's so many ways. It's one thing is by like buying local honey or buying products from local farms. That's a great way because they are usually a lot more caring for the environment and they practice more sustainable farming methods that take care of the soil. So that's one way. And then another way is if you have the ability or if you have the space, make a little pollinator section or plant flowers that are native to your area that are in a bunch of different colors, shapes, and sizes. So they not only attract bees, but also butterflies and hummingbirds and things like that and give them um, a food source. And the next thing that I would do is to like educate yourself about them. So if you can, and if you have the bravery, try taking a bee class or watching videos about them. And another one is bee homes. So those are for native bees and they're, they don't stink. They're a lot more docile and so easy to like start and maintain. And that's another one because they're losing habitat so quickly that setting up a bee home is provides them with a habitat. Lastly, it's fighting for the like banning of harmful chemicals called neonicotinoids in farming practices. So on big levels, but also not using those chemicals in your garden. So avoiding the use of pesticides and herbicides and finding more natural ways to fend off pests because there are so many natural remedies for gardening that can that don't harm bee populations. Absolutely. And and the common thread that I hear through everything that you've said is the perfect name of your book. And the bee obviously, but the fearless. And and you know, many people are afraid to face their fears. And again, I'd love to do maybe do a show with your parents. If there's a podcast out there about great parenting, your parents <laughs> need to be on it. I have to tell you because they've just. I, I've oh, already no. I've already picked up four things that I know I did wrong. My kids turned out fine, but I'm like, wow, why did I do it that way? Well, but Michaela gets a lot of credit too because as a of parent course. to teen teenagers, I'm That's also of the belief there's only so much you can do because right. you kind of are who you are. There's no perfect. There's always going to be something that you could do better and something that you did do well. So, yeah, but for most teenagers, you're you're. <laughs> <laughs> crushing it. Yeah. Um, um, but I also liked, I picked up nerve sided, nerve sided, and ambivert. Those are two, two uh, things I'm adding to my vocabulary. Thanks for that. <laughs> I, so, I had to take them down. I have some like post it notes that I keep up here with words that I don't know from reading. And I just ran uh, them down and try to find the definition. So I had, they were on here earlier, but I had to take them down because I didn't really go. And that's great. It, that reminds me, I mean, it's just, my parents did plenty right and, and plenty 
questionable. But one thing we did do at the dinner table was we, my father would take a dictionary and just, you know, go like this. And we, that would be the word of the night. And we talk about it at the dinner table. Oh. Um, the problem is my That's sister's 10 cool. years older and my brother's seven years older. So it was mostly just me, <laughs> but there were a couple of years where we were all doing it together. And, and, um, you know, I'll never, the word bucolic would have never been in my vocabulary if not for, if not for that. So, Michaela, we always wrap up the show with a great question that I borrowed from Tim Ferriss, um, who wrote a wonderful book that you might want to take a look at called Tribe of Mentors, where he interviewed successful people in all walks of life, from entertainers to athletes to great, great business people. And he asks them three or four of the same questions. For example, you're given $100, you know, what, what, what's the last thing you spent $100 on? That might be a question. But the question I'm going to ask you, which I really love of his, is that if you were given the opportunity to have a giant billboard for the world to see, and you can put your message on there, what would it be and why? I would probably try to find some artist that I think has like a cool piece and have one message of like maybe do good or like I just want a, a positive message because you don't get a lot of those on billboards. It's mostly mm -hmm. ads and people trying to sell their stuff. So something that when they when people drive by, they think, oh, yeah, like thanks for the reminder or something, whether it's like be positive or see good or do good or don't forget to love or take a deep breath or something. Mm -hmm. uh, just well, they're, they're all great. And it's interesting break. that you said positive because that that has been the one common thread that, that when I've asked people the question, positive pops up all the time. Mm. And you'll oh. think about this from time to time. And it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. So the book, folks, again, is Be Fearless, Dream Like a Kid, written by our special guest today, Michaela Ulmer, who is the founder and CEO of Me and the Bees Lemonade, which, as we mentioned, is available. I feel like I'm back on my days on public television when I, <laughs> I used to hold up um, Big Bird and do things like that. Um, oh. but the, these are, these are at Whole Foods, Wegmans, Kroger's, check out their website. I want you to know, I really love it. And I've been waiting all show to open this up. I've been really parched. So what <laughs> you a great, should, you should try it as, if you like it as like a regular lemonade, you should try it mixed with sparkling water. That's, it's really good. And also yeah. try it as a popsicle. I don't know if you're too old for that, but it's good as popsicle. <laughs> That's okay. No, You're never, never too old for a popsicle. popsicle. Yes. And Anne's, an Arnold, Anne's an Arnold Palmer fan. Is this something that would mix with iced tea? Well, we have iced tea flavors. So yeah. we oh. have, yeah, organic black tea and the regular flavor of lemonade. I mean, it's half and half iced tea and lemonade. That's my favorite flavor, actually. And then there's sprinkly pears. Those are my top oh. two. That's okay. so great. Well, Michaela, thank <laughs> you so much for, for sharing your wonderful story, spending so much time with us. And I'm going to throw one more of your quotes that I really love. Just like the bees, we always do our best when we work together. That really says it all. So thank you so much. Thank you, Anne, for joining us on this episode. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you, Michaela. Nice meeting you. Sure. And a shout out to our folks at Resonate Recording who do the post-production. Folks, thank you so much for taking the time to listen and subscribe to the podcast. You'll see the links everywhere that we're going to put up where you can go get the lemonade and, of course, get the book. So please pay attention to that and have a great week. 
And as we say every week on this show, pay yourself first. Thank you very much.